are listening to Perlustration, a podcast where we take on movie universes. This episode, we are discussing the 2017 film Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 2, directed by James Gunn. Spoiler warning for this film, as well as the first 14 MCU films. We will try not to spoil any future movies or any future plot points. Lucas, what are your thoughts on Guardians 2? It was pretty good. Um, This is one I hadn't seen very often. Uh, Spoilers for this pod. It ranked pretty low on my list going into it, but uh, I enjoyed it a lot more this time. And In fact, I watched it twice. Um, I don't know. The jokes just hit me differently. The action was awesome. CGI was incredible. Um, I I liked it overall. What about you? I enjoyed it as well. No spoilers for my unofficial rating. I mean, when you start out a movie and you put Missouri on the screen, (laughs) (laughs) I'm on board. Although Peter's mom's accent was questionable. I I feel like I can really speak to what a Missouri accent sounds like. And I think hers was more Texas, if I'm being nitpicky. but are there any, by the way, any other characters in the MCU so far that we've met from Kansas or Missouri? As far as I know, no. Um, there is that scene you can kind of pixel peep in Captain America 2 with the um, helicarriers and they're raising, you know, they're, they're getting to their altitude and the, there are just names flashing all over the screen as the targets are popping up. Mm-hmm. And so you can, you can kind of catch uh, ones or twos that are like, not spoilers, but kind of Easter eggs, that kind of thing. Doctor Strange was on that list previously. Um, I personally have not dug deep on that to see if there's any mention of Kansas or Missouri. But as far as I know, no. Only Peter Quill is from Missouri. All right. Well, I guess he's the hometown hero in this case. Uh, I did enjoy the running jokes, you know, like similar to the first Guardians. They're really good about putting a lot of comedy in there. Yep. And like this one with the winking, you know. <laughs> it's like, oh, my wrong eye. <laughs> and Drax pronouncing the wrong word, like right after hearing it. Mm-hmm. The space fruit joke, like it's not ripe yet. Each member you know, yep. says it's not ripe at some point. It's a nice reprieve from some of the heaviness of the previous couple films that we've watched. For sure. Yeah. And, and that is, that has been Guardians of the Galaxy's role in the, in the sequence of these movies to like take a step back from the big bad situation that's developing basically on earth, but you know, in the, in the universe. Yeah. With uh, the infinity stones and whatnot. No, no infinity stone in this movie. This is true, but we learned why Peter was able to hold it. Correct. So in a way we learned a little bit more about the stones because we know that you have to be pretty powerful to be able to actually touch it. And we learned at least why Peter was able to. So right, a little bit there uh, with the Infinity Stones concerned. A lot of cameos too, which a we'll lot. get into in our uh, first stone actually. So we'll, you, you want to just head on into the stones? You got anything else here? Nope. All right, well, let's pause real quick to hear a word from our sponsors. Then we'll get to our six stones. This episode is brought to you by Mammoth Coolers. As summer approaches, it's the perfect time to step up your cooler game, and there's no better option than Mammoth. They make the best coolers since the Ice Age. 
The Ranger 125 is an extra large cooler that provides maximum capacity with maximum performance. It has 125 quart capacity and 10 day ice retention, making it the perfect cooler for any adventure. This thing is heavy duty. The walls of the cooler are roto molded and insulated with a thick layer of premium foam. Like all Mammoth coolers, the Ranger 125 has an integrated hinge system that is secured with stainless steel hinge pin and the lid has a freezer grade rubber gasket, ensuring an airtight seal. All Mammoth products are backed by a lifetime warranty and shipped to the 48 continental United States. Visit mammothcooler.com, that's M-A-M-M-O-T-H-C-O-O-L-E-R.com to order and use the offer code BEGONIAFM, all one word, at checkout to get 10% off your order. Using that code helps Mammoth know you came from us. Thanks to Mammoth for sponsoring this episode and all of Begonia FM. Okay, Infinity Stone time. Our six stones. The first one of those is New Faces and Outer Space Places. <laughs> uh, we'll start here with Mantis. She's hilarious. I love this character. She's so sweet, too. Can I pet your puppy? <laughs> Yeah, Drax is genuinely quite mean to her for a lot of the film. It, any chance Drax had of getting on the Jaily top three was just thrashed by his first half performance here. Yeah, I think he has a... That's sort of how he, he displays affection in the, in a weird way. Um, you can clearly tell later on in the movie that he, he does care about her. But mm-hmm. it must just be his species or maybe it's just him uh, being extremely blunt and literal. Like when he calls her ugly, he says that's it's it's good to be ugly because that's how you know somebody actually loves you. That you know it's sweet in a way. Yeah, but too far because he's like <laughs> you're hideous, and I'm like man, that is just not a nice thing to say, Drax. No. And he's like he starts gagging, thinking about being with her physically, and uh, yeah, too far, man. A little bit too far. You're right. So Mantis, she is kind of a unique character creature being in this. Um, in the MCU. We don't know what her race is. We know there's some sort of insectoid and we know they have empathetic powers. Um, as far as we know, she's the only one because Ego rescued her or found her in her larva state at some mm-hmm. point. Who knows how old she is either um, because obviously Ego is quite old. You know, he's kind of predates the universe in a way. So we really don't know that much about her. What we do know though is she clearly is on the good guys team is that is that too blunt of a way of putting it no for sure um yeah as soon as she kind of learned what ego is really up to you know who knows how she had been brought up because he raised her basically as a daughter um Mm -hmm. with a, a little bit of servant undertones in there too but as soon as she kind of realized what was actually going on and that he kind of intended to destroy all life in the universe probably including herself she's like oh this is no good <laughs> and uh, first chance she got she did re- um she did recruit the help of people to destroy him so i would say that qualifies as a, being a good guy i would agree some other good guys as far as we know that we meet uh i'm gonna butcher all these pronunciations <laughs> They're tough. So bear with me stakar ogord played by sly stallone we got Charlie, 27. I think I nailed that one. Ming Rames. Uh, Alida Ogord, which, uh-oh, is there something going on there with the same last name? And that's Michelle Yeoh, who I absolutely love. I think I actually talked about her in a previous episode. She was in 
a, a number of films that I've seen recently for some reason. She's been popping up all over the place. So when Yeah, she was in the movie you watched with Wong uh, from Doctor Strange. Sun Sunshine. Shine, Sunshine. It also has uh, Chris Evans in it as well. Oh, cool. Just tying it all together there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I mean, we didn't get a lot from these characters, but I think there's more to come with them. They were setting up a lot with these... I with certainly this, hope so. These different factions of Ravagers, right? Right, right. Okay. yeah, clans, they call them. Okay. Yeah, so Stakar Ogord, I don't know how to pronounce it either, so we'll go with that. Um, cool. He is a leader of a big, powerful Ravager clan, the the uh, Stakar clan. Um, Charlie 27 is another Ravager who had his own clan, but at, at the end we see him team up with Stakar. Alita Ogord is actually Stakar's wife. They are, I, I don't know, call them a power couple, but they both lead their own think you separate should. clans. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, they're just leaders of Ravager clans. Um, it, the Ravager clan relationship is kind of weird. They're sort of team up, sort of enemies um, because they're competing for the same jobs or bounties or whatever but then they can also team up to to do something together very much a bounty hunter style operation so Mm -hmm. yeah i don't actually know much about these characters um from comics or anything like that so i'm i'm just as excited to as you are to see what comes from this um very clearly a team up thing in the post credits so like gotta see something i sure hope so uh sly's look is really cool too with those like uh neon kind of cuffs or shoulders on his uniform they look really cool uh the other new faces that we have were the sovereign Mm -hmm. my only really note on them is they got drip (laughs) solid gold everything (laughs) yeah it's awesome they are feeling themselves they sure are I, i like their fighter ships the video game kind of homage that they have especially the the sounds that the film mm. uses it's like galaga or something it's a very reminiscent sound mm-hmm. are they in the comics I, I know i keep just throwing hey comics comics, yeah. comics but yeah yeah they are um so i guess right up front i'll say that guardians comics are probably the least read um for me so i don't have a ton of comic history with them but I, you know, I've, I've done a bit of research, especially after this movie came out. Um, so the Sovereign, it's, it's kind of a weird hierarchical um, society, but they, they kind of think that they're better than other beings. They're, they're roughly humanoid, as we can see, but they obviously have gold skin. Um, and they are supremely intelligent, I guess, compared to humans. Who knows, um, compared to other species. Um, and they have a ruler, which is Aisha, the sovereign lady who has it out for the guardians and then it's actually that vendetta that gets her ousted as the leader and so now she's like even more out to get the guardians after this movie Mm. so maybe there there's more to come from the sovereign yes um yeah we can talk uh, now's a good time as any that post-credit scene too where she names him adam right she's like mm-hmm. it's a weird giving birth situation he's like in a pod or something well, that's what like... they say at the beginning of the film that they yeah. don't have children that way and then there's that whole joke with peter and the queen of yes oh, maybe for scientific purposes yeah <laughs> right i totally missed that that's you're absolutely right that's hilarious but so that that is kind of a callback to um adam warlock or sorry callback to the comics for adam warlock who 
he was a guardian at one point. He's an enemy of the guardians. You know, complicated history, as with everything. A little Winter Soldier-like. I don't mean to... I, I know so little about all this stuff. So <laughs> and I'm like, okay, who's somebody who's been bad and good? Winter Soldier. Yeah, Black Widow. Mm, yeah. We've never seen Black Widow be bad in, in our... Um, perception of her but she clearly has a past with the kgb and whatnot yeah and you know sometimes she's on her extra missions true so we don't fully trust her sometimes i would say sure yep um one thing i will note about adam is uh well i'm not going to note that about adam actually (laughs) sorry (laughs) i'm totally leaving that in (laughs) uh you're so good about not spoiling I, i really appreciate that Let's uh, let's move on then to our second stone here. More comic history. I'm asking more of you here, Lucas. Ego, the man, the myth, the legend. Or is he a the big God deal? Uh, no, not really. Uh, he is Peter Quill's father, right? Like, I don't know. It's uh, the Celestials themselves are not super prominent. I mean, they're always there in the background as these like um, primordial beings that wielded the infinity stones but that's really all we know about them um this is the first one that i'm familiar with that has a name and he doesn't actually have like a body right as we would imagine at at what we see the kurt russell um is like him making himself a human body but he's really just a big planet-sized brain why did he choose human of all the races it is not answered because i i was paying attention specifically for that the second walkthrough he says he wanted to explore the universe as a human. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, why? There's a lot of really cool races going on here. I think that's all playing at Peter because he's still trying to convince Peter to join him. Got it. So maybe he just changes his form depending on. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, to uh, when he's spreading his seeds across the galaxy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe he he does whatever he takes to you know seduce whoever he needs to. Or I mean, he's been around millennia so maybe he just lives life as whatever being or creature he wants for however long that takes and then goes back to his planet whenever uh whenever his seed has been planted right yeah shiver how okay can i just ask you how familiar are you with kurt russell i know this is kind of a game that we periodically play through the mcu but to me he's like a legend you know what i mean like um yeah i'm I'm vaguely familiar that he is a big deal um (laughs) Okay. Have you seen any other film with him in it? Fast and Furious. Okay. Uh, I can't remember which one he's in first, uh, but he's in like six, seven, or eight, something like that. Um, and then the other movie, is it, is Hey, Big Trouble in Little China? Yes. <laughs> That's, Sorry, uh, I, I, uh, I was reading, I was trying to find out, it was uh, The Fate of the Furious. Oh, that's the first one he's in? uh furious seven as well okay there you go that's that's another movie universe i'm in on (laughs) yeah yes you are eventually we will perlustrate fast and furious uh just to throw a couple other titles that you might have heard like you got escape from new york escape from la never heard of it (laughs) okay um you have the thing it's a very famous film. It got remade recently. Heard, heard of it, haven't seen it. Okay. Um, very much known for like uh, its practical effects. Okay. The the actual the thing in the film is done practically, and it's okay. terrifying. The... So nice. 
I'd recommend that one to you or anybody out there listening. Uh, Tango and Cash. Have you heard of that? Uh, heard of it. Dude, it's fine. Like, there's a billion films out there. There's no way you can watch them all. The other mm-hmm. one that I would say is like a little bit more recent, not as famous as those other ones, but Miracle, the film with the USA hockey team. Yes. Uh, the- he plays the hockey coach. He okay. plays Herb Brooks. Yeah. That one, I haven't seen that one in a long, long time, but I have seen that one. Okay, nice. Yeah, I'd recommend go back, watch a little bit of 80s Kurt Russell, because I don't think it's an accident that they picked Kurt Russell and his character was on Earth in the 80s. It all just really works. So it it could have been um, uh, Peter Quill's obsession with David Hasselhoff could have easily been a Kurt Russell character. Right. Uh that would have been that would have been cool too. But I, I like the I like the David Hasselhoff and then we actually get Kurt Russell. Oh, that it works on so many levels. I love it. Yeah, it's really sweet too when Gamora's like uh the taser smash hole smop, you know, she doesn't know how to he's like <laughs> she's like he has like the boat or something. <laughs> like, uh, yes. Hasselhoff it was a car. What's a car? To help him fight crime. Yeah. Very sweet moment. Okay. So We'll keep it moving because we're going to talk about ego a lot throughout the rest of this podcast as well. Because we're going to jump into our third stone here, and that is parenthood. Yes, big theme in this movie. A lot of different parent parental family relationships here. Absolutely, family in general too is a big theme, kind of going throughout it. Like what mm-hmm. is family and the search for family, but this particular relationship of the parent and the child is on full display. So let's go into Ego and Peter. Mm -hmm. Ego, pun intended here, I guess, strokes Peter's ego. For sure. You know, he's like, even where I'm from, we've heard of (laughs) Star-Lord, your special heritage. You know, he keeps appealing to these like simple like things that Peter just wants to hear. You Mm -hmm. know, he even talks about how he wants to throw a ball with his dad, and he ends up getting to do that. With his magic ball. I love it. Yeah, that magic orb ball. And as soon as he starts pushing it into a ball you're like i know where this is going and they <laughs> cheese it up by doing the slow-mo it's perfect and it's great because you know kurt russell could have been a professional baseball player you know until he tore his rotator cuff and that's what brought him back into movies you know so it's always fun seeing kurt russell throw a ball and we also get uh what what movies money ball with uh chris there's too many chris's in the mcu with star lord that actor chris whatever pratt he's in Pratt, he's in Moneyball, so we get Is a little he? base. Yeah, I've seen I've seen that one, but it's been a long time. Uh, I remember Jonah Hill mostly. <laughs> That's because Jonah Hill is incredible in that film, and so mm. is Brad Pitt. Yes, Brad Pitt. He's like the only actor, really, mainly out of like the main cast they picked for the baseball players. Oh, cool. Yeah. Sorry to get on that tangent. There, we'll bring it back. But then we have this oh my god moment when you find out that ego put the tumor into peter's mom's head and you get that dolly zoom yes super classic yeah hitchcock spielberg type shot it's just beautiful and it does everything that you need it to do and boom conflict that was intense i did not see that coming first time watching this movie um oof and he's it's right at that moment where ego has basically decided it's it's all or nothing he's he's got to get mm-hmm. peter on his side right now and he's like appealing to him talking about love and everything and and then wanting to ascend essentially be better than everybody else 
mm-hmm. which is such a fitting name for him to to have ego. <laughs> it's catchy too. It, it really works well. Mm-hmm. So speaking of Yandu's father, well, actually his daddy, Yandu, really steps up and um, we learn his past, why he's kind of exiled from the Ravagers uh, because he was trafficking children, which apparently is the one rule for Ravagers. They'll do anything else, but... That's um, fair. You got to have a line, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we learned that the reason he saved Peter was because he learned what Ego was doing with the kids. And then, and, and then ended up raising Peter in a way that not a very uh, wholesome relationship. But at the end, he does sacrifice himself to save Peter. Absolutely. And I think his big speech, Yandu's big speech to Rocket towards the end of the film where he talks about how they're the same mm-hmm. really kind of explains why he raised Peter the way he did. Yeah. Yandu has stuff going on inside of him and he's dealing with his own demons and he hasn't processed that and he lashes out at people probably because of the way he feels, not because of what the other person is doing. Right. And I like that clarification as well, but how the him being too small or him being small enough to fit in a small places for thieving kind mm-hmm. of drives throughout the film as well, where Peter says that's why he was taken. Yandu says that's why. And then to save the universe, Rocket has to make the same decision with Groot. Right. Groot is the only one small enough to fit in these small places. Mm-hmm. And he has to send him. Seeing that one time, you can then retroactively think of Yondu doing this every time with Peter. Yeah, knowing what we know now, or knowing how Yondu felt about Peter, you know, he clearly thought of him as a, as a child um, and cared for mm-hmm. him. And uh, putting him in danger like that would have been rough. Definitely. I think it probably really took a toll on him, you know, to the point where he sacrifices himself at the end to feel like he can right the wrongs that he had done. Really, really emotional stuff. I would say probably the most emotional moment of the entire MCU so far is when they're like floating down. It's like 30 minutes before the end. Mm-hmm. And Peter like kind of laughs and looks at Yanu. He's like, oh, you look like Mary Poppins. Is he cool? Yeah, he's like, is he cool? And he's like, Hell yeah, he's cool, man. Yep. He's like, I'm fucking Mary Poppins, y'all. Like, so good. That is that is how you tell a story. Because you finally have them. They've been the entire movie driving this. Like, these guys are assholes. Like, everybody here is an asshole lashing out. Mm-hmm. And it's the complete opposite of that. It's a perfect moment for him to be like, no, it's a girl. Ha, ha, ha. But instead, he's like, no. It's a super cool person, which Mary Poppins is. <laughs> it, nice arc given to Yondu there and very sweet moment. Like I said, probably the most emotional moment of the MCU so far. IMO. <laughs> I, I won't disagree. It's, uh, it, it did uh, when he freezes up and Peter's like, no, that, that, got, that gets you. Because mm-hmm. that's the second parent he had to watch die, basically. Not, not including ego. Yeah, you know, that doesn't count because he was a bad dude, but like his mom. But it does kind of count. I, I had in my notes, like, Peter has watched all three of his parents die. Like, actually watched all three die. Yeah, for real. <laughs> it's like, that, that reminds me of Peter's quotes. Like, no, man, you have issues. Like, of course I have issues. That's my freaking father. Yeah. I, well, I hope he 
finds a way to process it and finds happiness. Mm-hmm. But uh, speaking of family, we're going to focus in a little bit more here on one family relationship with our fourth stone. It is Nebula and Gamora. Thanos would replace body parts. This is something that we learned of Nebula when Gamora would beat her and she just, you know, apparently just wanted a sister, didn't want this competition. I don't know how much of that is true, but they seem by the end to like found some sort of resolution as well with each other, some sort of like understanding. Yeah. Uh so we we don't know that much about Thanos yet. Um and and really what he's been up to other than he's searching for the stones. But the way what, what I understand is that he basically kidnapped in a way um Gamora and Nebula from their home worlds from their parents who knows exactly and raised them as daughters but also as like assassins because of whatever he's up to he's he's basically training them up and he would pit them against each other to make them better right mm-hmm. and uh whenever Gamora would win which seemed to be all the time um he would enhance Nebula with cybernetic um implants or whatever and she seems to be more robot than person you know i don't know what her um her race is or her her species is um but she seems to be more robot at this point and that's probably taken a toll mm-hmm. um especially as we see or as we learn in this movie that she just wanted to have a sister and gamora was was focused on survival right and that, that doesn't excuse the way she behaved but it informs us on on why she why they have such a contentious relationship yeah, and when they have that initial conflict when Nebula comes in and crashes the plane and they fight, it is so sad watching them all, like, not watching them all, but watching the two of them, like, after the crash, like, get up the way that, like, Nebula contorts her body and how it hurts her. Uh-huh. And how Gamora's in pain, too, and it's, like, this external and internal pain. And then they go right back at it. Yep. Boom. It, it's just... I, I can totally... Uh, understand where they, I'm. I'm a sibling as well. I understand how <laughs> sibling rivalries go. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, you just hope that they find a way to, you know, fix whatever's between them because they are family. And like, mm-hmm. it's really Thanos. It's it's not them. They, they shouldn't hate each other. They should. You, know, you really shouldn't hate anybody. You know, PSA. But they. They they want to go kill Thanos. They yep. they got a common enemy. They have a common goal, and that is another thing that helps unite them as well. A really cute moment too, and Nebula saves Gamora in the final battle, and she's like, "Oh, get over it." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saved you. I know. <sighs> Whatever. <laughs> but let's get into some of those action scenes here. Uh, we're calling this fifth stone greatest hits, aka <laughs> best action scene stuff. So opening credits, please. I remember we were talking about this during our production meeting. You specifically said you love the opening credits. So go. What do you love about it? I just love the the baby Groot dancing. Like he's hard an, not to. If you I have know. a heartbeat, I yeah. think you have to love that. <laughs> and, and he's seemingly oblivious to the whole battle going on around him, and uh, it's just hilarious. Baby Groot is just awesome in every scene. I love that they like brought a boombox to the battle. Just uh, it's great. And then uh, and Peter's like, no, I agree with Drax. That's when the winking joke starts. Right. <laughs> He's like, no, I get it. 
I totally understand. <laughs> <laughs> Winking at him. Yeah. Baby Groot is very cute. I like also when he's trying to eat the bug and Rocket comes over and it's like, no, don't eat that. It's like a <laughs> early, you know, little teaser of what we're going to see to come of this parent-child relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sovereign and the crew in the asteroid field. Yeah. Another very Star Warsian thing coming from Guardians of the Galaxy. James Gunn has to love Star Wars. I can only assume. Yeah, that one is super fun too because it's uh we see uh Rockets, you know, tells Drax that he's stolen the batteries and then it's like the the immediate um consequence for for that is they're now being chased. Like they're just talking like, "Oh, what are we going to do next?" and then enemies surround them basically. And we talked about the the spaceships earlier. They're like remote piloted video game style and there's just tons of them yeah it was super cool and then the ship gets blown up and drax is like hanging out the back tied on <laughs> by a cable and he's just laughing and laughing drax is crazy man <laughs> uh yeah he gets hit by all those trees there at the end and still pumped about it yep and then they're but they're saved by ego this is our introduction to ego in the story the one inch man He's like riding on top of his spaceship, which is wild. Why even have the spaceship then? It's a flex, for sure. Yeah, it is. Next action scene, probably my favorite of the film, as I looked over my notes here. The rocket booby traps versus the Ravagers. That's what I've called it. Right. Yeah, that is fun. They're, they have to stay with the ship, so um, and then the Ravagers catch up with them because they're... Why are they? Are they hunting Peter? Because Yondu's not with them at this point, right? Correct. The sovereign lady hires Yondu. You're right. So you're then right. To, to they bring go him and, and Yondu claims that he had put the tracking device on the ship during their battle with the Infinity Stone. Right. Look at me. Look at me. How far yeah. I have come. <laughs> if I'm not super lazy, maybe I'll add a, a little round of applause in the edit here. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I just, I love a good set up traps for an attack coming. Maybe mm-hmm. it's the Home Alone fan in me. Oh, yeah. And the Wet Bandits are coming. But I, I like that. We didn't get the set up the traps moment as much, but we did get the aftermath of it and some really like fun comedic action scenes. Yeah. And his booby traps aren't like, they're not just like landmines killing everything. They're like these weird gravity bombs that like, shoot them up in the air and then they fall down and he's shooting them up and shooting them up that it was really fun i you gotta love uh rocket's ingenuity because i i think we're supposed to think he designs and builds all of these weapons that he's got Mm -hmm. um like with the uh the big gun from the first guardians movie the hadron enforcer or something like that yeah and so just to think that he's been putting all this stuff together with scraps and whatever doodads he can find it's awesome very impressive. The next scene, it's not an action scene, but how can we not include it when we're talking it's about a, how... It's a jail. Um, it's an escape, right? They're, they're trying to get out of... Breakout. It's a breakout. It is a breakout, but it's, a, it's the how do they get to that point, really? Mm-hmm. Just group finding the fin. Yes. It's so cute with the, the underwear, the desk, the severed toe. I love when he brings the eyeball and he's going to go take it back and Rocket's like, no, 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 leave it. I want it. that. <laughs> Call, calling back to the joke from the first film. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, then they, then they do have the breakout. The breakout really gets to show Yondu using that arrow. Um, 
I had to do a little bit of research on that arrow because I thought it was just his thing, like Yandu's thing. Turns out it's like the weapon of choice from his like species, the Centaurians or Centaur, yeah, Centaurians from Planet Centaur, something like that. Um, but it's powered by whistles. It's not actually powered by the fin thing. Um, it's like the fin helps control it, I, I guess, but it's the whistle. And that's why his race is like, they're just really good whistlers. And uh, that's how he's able to control that thing. Interesting, because I thought it was the fin as well. They changed the fin. He got like a way taller one. Yeah, this the time. Mohawk Is that because it's like a prototype? Something like that. That Yeah, it's either he's been working on it on the side and uh, just never busted it out. It's a cool look. I had the breakout here is just labeled the arrowing. <laughs> His control of it is amazing, especially when he gets into the control center with all the cameras and he's just like sending it through the wall and like watching on the cameras and shooting them around. He's he's got some practice with that thing. Oh yeah. All the while come a little bit closer is playing such a choice decision by James mm -hmm. Gunn there. It it works really, really well, especially with contrasting like the normal frame rate with the slow-mo frames mm -hmm. it, it's one of those songs that works well like a fast pace and with a slow-mo montage so good good job whoever selected that i guess i don't mean to just glorify the director here it takes a lot of people to make a great film like this <laughs> uh but that scene basically ends with the 700 jumps yes which is hilarious and quite challenging to uh produce i imagine so much cgi in that like this whole movie is so much cgi but like that one it's basically just them sitting in the ship so you have cameras pointing at them but then the rest of it is just computerized and they're distorting and no one's ever done 700 jumps it's a it another star wars callback it reminds me of the kessel run um and he does it by jumping through you know using some like mm, unorthodox method of travel let's say no that's a that's a very astute observation another star warsian thing yeah and maybe sometime we can perlustrate star wars and then we can be like oh that's very guardians of the galaxy of them oh do you think they were doing an homage to guardians <laughs> <laughs> uh last big action scene i have here is just everyone versus ego right and then eventually at some point the sovereign also kind of show up i don't know how they fit in then it becomes kind of a triangle battle a little bit right the whole goal is to destroy the brain uh of, of ego but I think they introduced the Sovereign. Well, I don't know what actually happened in production, but the way I see it, they have to plant a bomb on the brain, but Mantis can like put him to sleep, but she can only hold him for so long. But so if Mantis puts him to sleep, all they have to do is go down, put mm -hmm. the bomb and get out, and there's no, no tension, no conflict. So I think they brought the Sovereign in at that moment exactly for this reason. They had to have somebody to fight while they're fighting or while they're trying to put the bomb on then the sovereign are essentially defeated and then ego comes back up because mantis can't hold it anymore so i don't know it's it's a weird three-way battle but it's like two two-way battles intertwining really yeah i could also see a version of the script where maybe they didn't blow up the ravager ship as they escaped and the ravagers came after him right mm, that that could have been yeah but either way no i think that's Definitely a possibility, what you're bringing up. And it, it does give a nice opportunity to Nebula to have her kind of moment there where she plugs into the ship and she goes like supernova or supernovula, however you want to <laughs> call it there. Uh, 
you get Rocket and his gadgets fighting back, and then Peter embracing his power, at least for a short moment until... Can I just ask you this now? By the end of the film, Peter's powerless again, right? That's our understanding that, of that's the That's our understanding, yeah. It, Got his it. power, it, it doesn't necessarily come from, but is enhanced by the, the celestial planet, um, Ego's mm-hmm. planet. It's super weird, like, uh, celestial is the planet slash his power comes from the planet it it's very confusing but i mean he's like a he exists beyond time kind of kind of power or uh, character so i think we, since peter is only half celestial he basically is a uh, normal plus at this point he's not like super super he's still like human strength but he does have the power within him kind of thing mm. as far as i know we're not going to see him playing catch with teenage Groot. With his uh, energy ball, I mean. Okay. No planet Star-Lord coming anytime soon? No, I don't think so. (laughs) Okay. Well, I guess I just jumped ahead a little bit, but let's uh, finish up our stones here with a Ravager funeral. R.I.P. Yondu. That was a a tough one, especially, like, Yondu flies in and rescues Peter. Peter was fully prepared to sacrifice himself at that point. He, you know, he's Mm -hmm. in the middle of the planet with Ego, fighting them off basically just giving them enough time for uh Groot to get in there and Yondu uses Rocket's last uh jetpack and spacesuit flies in and just zips him right out of there and before Peter can even do anything he puts the suit on him that Yondu puts the suit on Peter and saves him and you could see Yondu getting all icy and then dead Peter gives a great eulogy uh standing over them with just the six or so of them standing around t- calling him David Hasselhoff and I don't know if it, he's resolved his uh, parental issues but he definitely had a moment and had a realization there definitely it's better than it was and better than it could definitely. have been you know if, if the death had happened somewhere else before he had at least had this moment mm-hmm. my one thing with that is if Peter's half god, and we've kind of already seen him float in space when he saves Gamora. Did Yondu have to do what he did? My thoughts exactly. I'm like, really? Yes. <laughs> yes. I, yeah. Yeah. So obviously, we don't want to undercut Yondu's sacrifice um, because that is part of his character arc, and ultimately is what uh, gets the Ravagers to recognize him again. You know, because he was exiled. That being said. Did he have to? Who knows? Why was why was the spaceship so far away? Great question. And yeah. um, that the part about him saving Gamora, though, I don't think he could have survived. I think he could have survived slightly longer than a normal person, uh, because you do see him start to turn icy in the mm-hmm. in the first Guardians movie. Um, so maybe there was enough time. Maybe not. Hard to say. But I did have the same thought. Did Yondu actually have to sacrifice himself? Well, shout out to you, Yondu. You're a real one. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're going to get into our categories here in just a second, but we're going to pause one more time to hear a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Mammoth Coolers, the best coolers since the Ice Age. Summer is approaching, and that means it's about to get hot. But that doesn't have to be the fate of your canned or bottled beverage. Mammoth's Chilski is a double wall vacuum insulated drink holder made with kitchen grade stainless steel. 
The Chilski works with both 12 ounce cans and bottles and has a screw on collar that seals the bottle or can securely. It keeps your beverage cold 10 times longer than competitor drink holders. Colder than outer space before you throw on the spacesuit and get your life saved by Yandu. The Chilski comes in a variety of colors including burnt orange, midnight blue, and seafoam green. You can even customize it with a high definition laser engraving. Get the Ravager flames on that thing. All Mammoth products are backed by a lifetime warranty and shipped to the 48 continental United States. Visit mammothcooler.com. That's M-A-M-M-O-T-H-C-O-O-L-E-R.com to order. And use the offer code BEGONIAFM, all one word at checkout, to get 10% off your order. Using that code helps Mammoth know you came from us. Thanks to Mammoth for sponsoring this episode and all of Begonia FM. Okay, category time. Lucas, pick your power. Go. I want that arrow, man. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not a super good whistler, but I think with a with a you know whistle enhancing fin on my head, like give me a mohawk, I could probably control it. As we see, uh, Cragler, Cragler, Crager. Whatever that guy's name is. You've had a mohawk before, too. I have. You wear it well. I do not regret it. <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are you doing the rocket winking thing when you say oh, that? I should have used I my do, other eye. I do, I do not regret it. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm going similar here. I'm going with the jetpack. Oh, sweet. Yeah, of course. Yeah, jetpacks are cool. Uh, I don't feel like I really have to justify that decision. <laughs> Who's your hero? I think we agree on this one. It's got to be Yondu. Yondu! Lucas, what is your unofficial ranking of this film? This one, man, this one has a big change for me. Um, okay, so where was it before the season started? What was its preseason ranking? Bottom of the barrel, man, 23. Okay, and yeah. where and is now, it now? It is number six. It had a big um, rise just because, you know, I said at the beginning, it just like hit me different this time and I like mm-hmm. it a lot more. So, yeah, that's it. Now, give me the film before and after. I kind of like being able to squeeze it in between two films. I've asked you to do this the past couple times. Yeah. Where, who, what is it in between there? It is in between Avengers Age of Ultron and Seven is Avengers. Yeah, I feel like it's appropriate right in there. I. I like it. My unofficial rating for this film is 350 out of 700 jumps. <laughs> Had a couple updates to the Jaylee top three here. Mantis is now ranked sixth behind Wong. And then Gamora stayed at fourth. I don't feel like she did enough in this film to warrant jumping Loki, Sam, or Black Widow. Agreed. And the one other... Notable thing here is uh, Yandu has been in the third induction into the Jaylee Top 3 Hall of Fame. Respect. So there in the Hall of Fame, we got Anthony, Agent Carter, and Yandu. Uh, last place is still Sitwell, a.k.a. The worst! All right, Lucas, one minute on the clock. What did we miss? Uh, I got 
three things. Uh, first, I, it's not something that we necessarily miss because it's a prominent scene. Um, the Zune. I love it. Updating Peter's, uh, Peter's Walkman to a Zune. And Yondu, because like, obviously Yondu and the Ravagers have been to Earth since, uh, since they got Peter, but like Peter never went with them for whatever reason, because he didn't want to go back, of course. Um, but so he's keeping up to date on the technology on planet Earth, and he's like, this is what all the people are listening to. It's got 300 songs on it. 300? The Microsoft check really shines through in that moment. Yeah. If it wasn't clear that the MCU is sponsored by Microsoft with Stephen Strange and his Surface that he uses there in the film, it's always Microsoft computers. When they use a Zune, I was like, oh, okay, you guys went one too far. This would be an iPod. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was found in what? Like in the garbage. So I guess that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> it is a fun movie. I I remember friends having the Zune. I did not own a Zune myself, but that's a, that's a great Same. game. That's that's very fun. Uh, we didn't mention it earlier, and I know this is your one minute, but I'm just taking it over. Uh, we saw the duck guy from Howard. the post credit scene in the first Guardians film. Yep, and it's voiced by uh, Seth Green. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, that's Gr- cool. Great voice for for the character. I think. I keep getting them checks, Seth. The other thing I wanted to that we probably missed that I missed the first couple of rounds. Um, there is, I am Groot inserted into the credits all over the place. And it's like, it says I am Groot in place of somebody's name. And then it like flashes and shows their actual name. And, uh, the no animals were harmed disclaimer at the very end was like, no animals were harmed. Well, first it starts off as I am Groot, but then it changes to no raccoons or tree creatures were harmed in the making of this feature. The same cannot be said for the handlers of said raccoons and tree creatures. (laughs) (laughs) that's fun yeah nice catch last thing i know i'm over my minute here but Uh, i took some time from you this is this ties into what we've mentioned it before with the intellectual property ownership between fox sony and marvel um they had to negotiate for this movie because james gunn was writing the script and wanted to have ego as um star lord's dad but the rights to Ego, the character, belonged to 20th Century Fox because of his ties to the Fantastic Four and the Silver Surfer. So he didn't have anybody else in mind, so he, he got Marvel's um, executives to negotiate with Fox, and they had to... The, the deal was that Fox would have more freedom over Negasonic Teenage Warhead's superpowers in the Deadpool movie. Huh. Which... What a, I, what a weird trade, but very cool. That, that's yeah. a very fun fact. Sorry, I just was like, huh, that's what, that's what they wanted. Yeah, not, I guess. Not like money. Or like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, creative freedom. that's why they got bought by Disney. <laughs> hey, Deadpool was awesome, man. Yeah, it was, it was good. Uh, shots fired at everybody, I guess, for me today. I'm coming in hot. <laughs> Thank you, though, everybody, for listening. If you have any questions or feedback, send an email to hello at begonia.fm. Or reach out to us on Twitter and Instagram at Perlustration FM. We also have like an Instagram and Twitter for Begonia, so you can go follow those as well. For our next episode, we will be watching the 2017 film Spider-Man Homecoming, directed by John Watts. A big thanks to Mammoth Coolers for sponsoring this episode. Lucas, take us out. That's why you don't like hats?
Okay, post-credit scenes. There are four of them. James Greedy Gun, as I'm going to call <laughs> him here. The first one is the Ravagers decide to start stealing some shit. I, we talked about it a little bit earlier. I'm excited to see all these you know, actors that I love from previous films mm -hmm. join the MCU, and I'm excited to see what they do, but that's about it. We're just kind of teased. I would love there to be a Ravagers spinoff. Yeah. Uh, number two, you talked about it a little bit earlier. The Gold Lady makes Adam. Aisha, the Sovereign, makes uh, Adam. Yeah. You also get a little, you know, creator and Adam being like the first. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of father-son stuff going on in this film, too, mm -hmm. but I, I didn't want to dig into that. Uh, number three, Teenage Group. Hilarious. And Peter's like, ah, oh, this is what Yandu was like. Or this was, Yandu would uh, feel like this. Yeah. <laughs> I am Groot. Relatable for most parents out there. Mm -hmm. God, that room was disgusting. Like, just imagine, it's trees and stuff. Like, that's his body. That's just his filth. What is it, like 80% of dust is just, like, dead he, skin? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Gross. Post-credit scene number four. Stan Lee. It's like our second Stan Lee of the film, too. Yeah, I think it's a continuation of the same scene, though. Mm-hmm. Who are those guys? Those are the Watchers. They are, I don't know, celestial level, maybe one step below celestial level beings that just, like, watch what's happening in the universe, and sometimes they uh, guide somebody's hand in, in certain ways. God, why didn't we call the show The Watchers? 